welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Over the past two years, we have studied through the letters of Ephesians, James, and 1 Timothy, but today we begin a new series through the first book of the Bible, a book of beginning and a book of blessing. Now, some Christians may wonder, why preach through the book of Genesis? Shouldn't we just focus on the New Testament? After all, isn't that primarily concerned with with all of us? I understand that sentiment. Genesis is filled with difficult sayings, cultural nuance, and takes and talks a lot about a people or a promise for a certain people called Israel, which may sound like it doesn't apply to us. But it would be a terrible mistake for a Christian to leave this book on the shelf as it is as if it is written for another people or for another time, because this book, Genesis, was written for God's people. And we are part of the people of God. Christians are not second-class citizens of the kingdom of heaven, of God's kingdom. By the mercy of God, Gentile Christians have been promised full inheritance with the saints. We have been made into equal heirs. At the marriage feast of the Lamb, there will not be separate tables for the blood descendants of Israel. And then also separate tables for the rest of mankind, speaking specifically of most of us. I mean, I'm not aware of anyone sitting in this room who knows for a fact that you are descended from Jacob, from from Israel. There will not be separate tables, though, in the kingdom of heaven. At the marriage feast of the Lamb, there there is one bride. There is only one bride, one feast. For there is one salvation, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of us all, one story of redemption. And Genesis is the first book in that story. As part of the family of God, it is essential that Christians pick up this book and labor over its pages because it is written for us so that we can know who God is, what He has created, and the relationship between the two. Some background information about this book will help us in our study. Most scholars agree that Genesis was written by Moses around 1440 B.C., before Christ, along with the other four books of the Pentateuch, which are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They were all written around the same period of time, the first five books of the Bible. The Old Testament speaks of Moses as the author, and Jesus again affirms this in the New Testament. So Moses was the man that God used to write these books. In 1445 B.C., Moses had just led the Israelites out of Egypt into their wilderness wanderings, and it is believed that God directed Moses to write the Pentateuch during this time. Prior to this, The people's knowledge of the Creator God and His covenant relationship with His creation was passed down primarily through oral tradition 
and first-hand accounts of his intervention in this world. But Moses was used by God to deliver a written record of who God is, what he has created, and the relationship between the two. And this was essential for the nation of Israel because prior to their entrance into the land of Canaan, they had just spent 400 years in the pagan land of Egypt. Their thoughts about the true God were tainted by the pantheon of gods and idols of Egypt. And Moses writes to establish the truth of the one creator God. The truth that Moses writes is just as important for us today, though. Because most Christian thought about God is also tainted by culture, experience, upbringing, and education. There is a struggle for truth that rages in each person's heart, and without the special revelation of God, we would start to believe lies. We would be led astray. Christian culture today commonly believes that God isn't really sovereign, meaning He's not really in control of everything, but that the world has gotten a bit out of control. It's a bit out of His hand. Some believe that God chose and blessed the patriarchs because the patriarchs were good people. And then if I keep the law like they did, then I can earn God's favor too. On the other hand, individualism in our culture has so impacted people's thinking that most cultural Christians don't really believe it's God's place or any religious book's place to tell them how to live their lives or express their passions. And one of the biggest lies we believe about, believed by our culture today is that humanity is actually good deep down inside. And that if we dig deep enough inside ourselves, we will find and live out that goodness. The six-year-old little girl who stomps her feet at her mother is just misunderstood. The drunk teenager was just influenced by some friends who weren't educated properly. And the angry husband who lashes out at his wife and children is simply suffering from some mental disease. Because if we were actually able to express our free will and who we truly are deep down inside, then you would see nothing but goodness coming out of humanity. These are the types of lies that our culture and even the Christian community are being led astray by. Church, we need to hear the words of God written in the book of Genesis because in its pages we will see the truth of who God is, the truth about His creation which includes all of us, and we will hear the truth about the relationship between the two. Because Genesis is primarily narrative, which is um, a form of story, we will be able to move through the biblical accounts pretty rapidly, often covering large sections of the story, um, moving in many ways through the scenes of this story. But this morning we will begin by only looking at the very first verse, because it introduces the main character of the story of redemption. In Genesis 1, verse 1, the Spirit of God directs Moses to write these words to God's people. Look with me, if you would, in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray and ask the Lord for His help this morning. 
Father, thank you for the book of Genesis. I thank you that you have not left us without revelation of who you are, how we got here, who we are before you. And thank you, Lord, so much for the the covenants, the promises, the relationship that you've revealed in your word. How you care to descend, condescend to us because you desire that we would know you, that we'd be able to have a life in you and have it abundantly. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we look at your word. There are so, so many passages we're going to look at today. All of them have come from you. I pray that each one of us would have hearts that are soft to your words, hearts that are ready to receive the words that you have spoken. Please, Lord, don't, don't allow any one of us to remain in a, in a hard, hardened, rebellious, unreceptive heart. Please, Lord, do your work. May your word go out, and we know, Lord, and we praise you that it will never return void. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of the Bible starts where every good story should start, at the very beginning. But this is not just any beginning. The Bible doesn't begin with the birth of a child, or at the start of a great journey, or when two strangers first meet. No, the Bible begins with the creation of our universe and everything in it. This is the ultimate beginning. There is no greater beginning. There was no beginning before this one. Now, this may raise the question, well, if this is the first beginning, then how did God begin? Where did he come from? It's interesting to note that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that it it doesn't even raise this question let alone begin to answer it. Instead, the Bible begins with an assumption, the assumption that God was. The the Scriptures never speak of a time when God was not. Instead, the Scriptures point to the fact that there was a beginning to time and that God was over it. God is outside of it and that if time ever ceased to be, then God would still be. This creates a problem for our minds because every thought we have is attached to time and space. That's where we operate. It's even difficult for us to imagine the spiritual world that the scripture so often depicts, let alone trying to imagine a divine spiritual being that's outside of time. From the very beginning, these are the realities that the scriptures are going to put in front of the human mind and heart, forcing us to decide, what am I going to do when God transcends my understanding? What am I going to do when the God of the Bible is shown to be too big to fit into my limited mind? Am I going to reject his truth as impossible? Am I going to say that the ancient writers were just uninformed about the way things really work? Or am I going to fall down and worship the Creator God who is too great for created beings to fully grasp? Listen to some of the things that the Scriptures say about the Creator God. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Think about that for a while. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord and, and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Psalm 33, 6-9, By the word of the Lord, by His word, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Isaiah 42, verses 5-6, through six, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He says this, I am the Lord. Acts seventeen twenty four through 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. The scriptures claim that God was, and that he created all things out of nothing. When Genesis 1 verse 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth, it forms a merism, which I didn't know what that was before this week, which is a, it's a fancy word for listing two extremes in order to encompass them and everything in between. So it's kind of like bookends. It's saying these are the books and everything in between. It's like saying from A to Z and then all the letters in between or from beginning to end. The goal of this statement is to include everything. The first verse is to include everything. So the sense of verse 1 is simply this. In the beginning, God created everything. In this everything, it is important to include God's throne room and spiritual beings. Angels, cherubim, seraphim, and the divine council. We are not given the specifics of how God created these spiritual beings or how he laid out his throne room heaven. But when the author of Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, I suggest to you that he is thinking of more than just the land and the sky. The land and the sky are definitely included, but beyond the sky is the sun, the moon and the unattainable stars that light the night sky. Out there in the vast space above the land is the heavens. That's the way the Hebrew writers spoke. And in the language of Scripture, that is where God's throne is, in the heavens. That is why the language of Scripture speaks of people looking up towards heaven when searching or praying to God. And why God comes down from heaven to see rebellious humanity building the Tower of Babel. This is also why the scriptures compare spiritual beings to the stars in the night sky. Saying things like, I saw a star fall from heaven 
And then it says, and he was given a key to the bottomless pit. That's how the writers of Scripture see the heavens. Genesis 1-1 is written with this type of imagery, and this is why it is best to understand this passage as referring to God creating everything at this beginning. From his throne room in heaven to the dirt of the earth. Nehemiah 9 verse 6 says this, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, and the hosts of heaven worship you. Nehemiah uses this phrase, heaven of heavens, trying to explain to his readers, I'm talking about everything, both this physical world and the spiritual one we can barely grasp. And I'm, I'm suggesting to you that this is most likely referring back to Genesis 1 verse 1 and how the Lord created the heavens and the earth in this beginning. With this backdrop, I hope to answer only one more essential question this morning. Who was involved in creation? If everything or if every created thing was made in the beginning, in this beginning, then then the only being in existence before the beginning was God. Please stay with me. This is so important. If every created thing was made in this beginning, then God is the only being who participated in creation. The only being outside of time is God. Everything inside of time is creation. Even spiritual beings operate within time. They had a beginning. They they are often said to be watching what God will do next, and they wait eagerly for things. Never is it implied in Scripture that spiritual beings like angels are outside time. They are bound by time. So the point is this. At the beginning, in Genesis 1 verse 1, God alone steps onto the stage and creates out of nothing. There was nothing besides Him. But as we go through the Scriptures, we begin to see something very interesting. In Genesis 1 verse 2, we are introduced to the Spirit of God that hovers over the face of the waters. The same Spirit of God is later described as the breath, life, and power of God. And then sometimes it seems to be operating, this being seems to operate within creation as a person. The writers of Scripture speak, as a, speak of this being as a, a person, both giving it the title of God, you're talking about it as, individu- as an individual. We're also introduced in the Old Testament to a being called the angel or messenger of the Lord. This being presents itself to humans in physical form, or typically in physical form, is introduced specifically as the angel of the Lord, but then starts speaking as if he is the Lord, as if he is God. 
Now, if you go back and you look up these references for yourself, remember, this is specifically the angel of the Lord. The Hebrew writers put the emphasis in the angel of the Lord. This is the one I'm talking about, this being. Think on these passages with me in the Old Testament. In Genesis 16, verse 10, the angel of the Lord finds Hagar hiding in the wilderness from Sarai and Abram. We pick up the story in verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. I will do it. That's what he says. I will, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13, So she, speaking of Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she says, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. The angel of the Lord appears to mankind over and over again in the Old Testament, but then speaks as if he is the Lord. Also think on Genesis 22 verse 12. Abraham is about to kill Isaac as a sacrifice to God. And just before he lowers the knife, we read this in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, speaking of the angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You have not withheld him from me. Once again, the angel mess or messenger of the Lord, the one who speaks God's words, this messenger arrives on the scene and speaks as if he is the message of God, yet also God. He is the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes onto the scene throughout the Old Testament. And when he arrives, he is in a form where humanity can speak with him and usually see him. And then the angel of the Lord speaks words as if he is God. Proclaiming God's words as if God was standing before mankind. Even Israelites recognize this. And we read in Judges 13 of the angel of the Lord departing from Noah and his wife in a flame of fire. We see that they fell down and said, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But you know what's interesting about the angel of the Lord? He is never again mentioned by that name after the virgin birth of Jesus into the world. Never again is that title given to him. After the birth of Jesus, there is only one who speaks the words of God while claiming to be God. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John begins his gospel as plainly as possible so that his readers can look back throughout the Old Testament and see how the word of God was one with God, yet also distinct from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. John begins his gospel this way in John chapter 1, verse 1. 
in the beginning. He's pointing back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in Him. John was not not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, speaking of Israel, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It was not of man, it was of God, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Pause in thought. He goes on to say, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ is the word of God who became flesh. The Son has always been the Word of God, eternally. He is one with God. He is divine. He was never created. He had no beginning and will have no end. Maybe there's some here who are still not convinced, so please, please think carefully with me about what God says in His Word in these next few passages. In John 17, verse 5, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He's talking about before time, space, matter, before Genesis 1, verse 1, before that, I shared your glory with you. Glorify me now, with that same glory. Colossians 1, 15-19, speaking of the Son of God, says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's talking about matter and the spiritual realm. It was all created through Him. He goes on to say, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things A to Z were created through him and for him. They were created to worship him. And he is before all things. 
and in him all things hold together. He is literally the being that holds both the matter, the physical world, and the spiritual world from flinging apart into pieces. And he, the Son, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Speaking about when he was here in human flesh, firstborn from the dead, he's led us into a resurrected body, into this new resurrection. That's what he's talking about. And that in everything, the Son might be preeminent in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, it's talking about when he came in flesh, the fullness of God dwelt in human flesh. That's what this passage is talking about. And one final passage, which proclaims the supremacy of God's Son over creation, whether it be the spiritual realm or the physical world. Hebrews 1 Verses 1 through 13 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He, God, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, talking about in His flesh here on earth, as He died on the cross, after that, He then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Why did he become superior? Why does it say that? It's talking about how he came in flesh and humility in a broken vessel. And then God, because of his humility, because of his condescension to man, he then raises him up in glory, far surpassing any other being far beyond the spiritual realm or the the angels that have been created. The author of Hebrews is going to go on to argue this point. He says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have forgotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, God brings... Bring Jesus Christ into the world. He says, let all God's angels worship Him. It's blasphemous for anything to, to worship a created being. It is blasphemous, idolatry to worship anything except for God. Let all God's angels, the throne room of heaven, bow down and worship Jesus. Of the angels, he says, so God says of the angels, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. The angels have beauty, power, strength. Verse 8, he goes on to say, though, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And also, he says this, you, Lord, 
laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. He's talking about the sun. And the heavens are the work of your hands. The spiritual realm is the work of the sun's hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. It's talking about the galaxies, the stars, the sun and the moon being like a garment that just brings him glory. He's not part of it. It is something that points to his glory, his divinity. The writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 13 and says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? As you move from Genesis to Revelation, you must come to realize and proclaim that God existed before time began as Father, Son, and Spirit. Three in one. I'm not asking you to fully understand the Trinity because I cannot claim that. No one sitting here can claim that. It is a a God thing that's beyond our minds. I'm not saying to be a Christian, you must be able to draw some diagram which compares something in the creation to the Creator, to the transcendent triune God. I'm not asking you or saying that you have to be able to do that. But to believe in the God that the Bible presents to you, that God's words describe to you, to believe in that God, you must believe, affirm, and bow the knee to the reality that Jesus is God. And that the Father, Son, and Spirit are the one Creator God, known by His personal name, Yahweh. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, I praise You for Your plan of redemption. This story of redemption is beyond any one of us. It's beyond the imagination of mere mortal men. I thank you that you are a God who cannot be put in a box. You are not a God who is so small that we can easily understand you, that we can wrap our minds around you without effort and without thought. And even, like, I thank you that you are not a God that we can actually fully grasp. You are the God who, who your people will continue to to understand even in heaven throughout the eternal ages to come your people will go on learning more and more of the one true God of who you are Lord I I praise you for this Lord I pray that again that your word would go forth this morning and that any hardened heart would be softened that no one would leave here, Lord, rejecting your Messiah, rejecting the anointed one, making him a mere mortal, or saying that he's something like the angels, or saying that he is less than one with you. Oh, Lord, may we as a church love your word, cling to your word, and humble ourselves 
and bow our knees to things that are difficult to understand, yet we, we proclaim that our God is great. He knows all things, and we, we live by the breath of His mouth, that you alone are the one who gives life and breath, and you are the, alone are the one who holds wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You alone were the one who was there at the beginning. Lord, may we, may we together today bend our knees before that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.